Jesus' name, amen. So please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 17. The, the, the plan for the next few weeks is that we're in Ephesians 5 today. We will be out of Ephesians 5 next Sunday, and then we'll be right back into Ephesians 5 the Sunday after Easter. But today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 to, to 17. And so while, while you're turning there, I do want to, I want to say something about, about last week's sermon. Um, so first off, I, uh, um, I was severely jet-lagged um, last week with that sermon. And so I've learned an important lesson that next time I'm preaching after coming back from across the Atlantic Ocean, there's going to be no math involved in the sermon. And so I, I don't know how many of you guys caught this, but, but I had some weird math last Sunday. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm only going to draw attention to it because too many of you know that, that I have a degree in math. And so, <laughs> and, so, and so whenever I said last Sunday, talking about that story about my son holding on to the garage door handle, and you know, I said something like this. You know, 13 years ago when my son, who's now 12, What was two, and and so you know that that math doesn't add up, and um, not even in Georgia does that math add up, <laughs> and, and and so since then I have thought hard about okay what in the world was I thinking when I said that, and and, and I have I understand what I was thinking, but it would take a long time to explain to you all what I was thinking whenever I did that math. So all that to say. My son's 12. The story happened 10 years ago. Okay. All right. We're looking at Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, and this is a passage about wisdom, about wisdom, about walking, living in wisdom. And so remember where we are in Ephesians. We're in the second half. The, the first half of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, is more focused on rich, deep, wonderful doctrine. And then once you turn the page to Ephesians 4 and you enter that second half, Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul turns his focus from rich, deep, wonderful doctrine to the, the practical application that, that, that flows out of that wonderful, rich doctrine laid out in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, you're going to see that this passage, like many of the passages we've already studied in Ephesians 4 and so far in Ephesians 5, is loaded with, with imperatives and direct application for our lives, especially if we desire to walk not as unwise, but to walk as wise. And I trust that we all desire to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And if that's the case for you, then please, I urge you to hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word, Ephesians 5, I'll begin reading in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love for our good, so we're going to look at these three verses under three headings. Walk with wisdom, make the most of your time, understand the Lord's will. So walk with wisdom, make the most of your time, 
Understand the Lord's will. So first, walk with wisdom. Look at verse 15 with me. Look carefully then how you walk. So Paul, Paul has been using that word walk to, to describe the Christian life of, from the beginning of Ephesians 4. He, he, he often uses it. He describes the Christian life as our walk, as our Christian walk. And Paul's not alone in that. I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but the Old Testament uses the word walk more frequently to refer to a person's lifestyle, their whole life, than it does to refer to literal walking from place to place, the literal movement using your feet. The, 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 the Bible as a whole uses that word walk to describe our life, our lifestyle. And so once we turn the page from the first half of Ephesians to the second half, then Paul has been repeatedly calling us, challenging us to evaluate how we're walking, how we're, how we're living. Think back to how he began Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What Paul says is, I've been telling you about the calling to which you've been called in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, at the beginning of chapter 4, I'm calling you now to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. That you are now a new creation in Christ. So now be who you are. And Paul continues with this, repeating it in in chapters 4 and chapter 5. So in chapter 4, verse 17, we read, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul says, there's a way you used to walk, the way you used to live. But that's not who you are now. That old you, that old life, that old way of walking, that old way of living, died with Christ. It's dead, buried, gone now. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Be who you are now in Christ. That You're a new creation in Christ, and so walk like it. Live like it. And Paul essentially repeats this again in in Ephesians 5, verse 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, he says, listen, you... There was a time when you weren't beloved children of God. There was a time, as Paul lays out in Romans chapter 5, that we were God's enemies. That we had made God our enemies, shaking our fists at him through our rebellion against his word, that we had made God our enemy. What Paul says in Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 is that by God's grace in Christ, it's not just that God moved us from being enemies to being in some neutral relationship with him, But God, by his grace, is in Christ. We're no longer enemies. Now we're beloved children, members of the family, adopted into his family. And what Paul says is realize that's not who you are now. This is who you are. That God, by his grace, through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, has made you his beloved child. Walk like it. Walk in that love. And then later in Ephesians 5, verse 8, we read, For at one time you were darkness, 
But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So over and over again, in the last two chapters, Paul's been saying, walk in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk as light. Okay, now back at our text in verse 15, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. And that phrase, look carefully, is a wonderful translation of the original Greek text. That The original Greek text it means to, to look accurately as you walk, or to, or to look exactly, to, to walk exactly. Pay close attention to the exact place you're putting each foot, so to speak, as you're walking, as you're living. So look carefully then how you walk is, is an accurate and helpful translation. And so, you see, Paul's point is that Christians should think intentionally about what we're doing. We should be intentional about how we're living about how we use our time, which we'll talk more about a little bit later, how we spend our money, where we go, who we go with, why we're there, what we're doing. We should be intentional about how we're living. We should be certain that we are on the right path, that we are walking and living faithfully with wisdom, that these three verses talk a lot about wisdom. Now, and I, I want to say a little bit about what I mean by wisdom because I, I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but I think wisdom is very misunderstood these days. I think that uh, many people in our world today are often lacking wisdom. Merriam-Webster uh, Dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, good sense, generally accepted belief, accumulated philosophical or scientific learning. Now, it's a dictionary definition, and you know, those definitions could be somewhat helpful, but hopefully as you, as you look at them, you're, you're asking, okay, but by what standard are inner qualities and relationships measured? You know, what, what constitutes good sense? Who determines that? You know, by what standard? And, you know, just because something is generally accepted belief does not mean it's wisdom. Amen? Most of the wisest people I know have accumulated much learning, many degrees. But wisdom is not something that automatically happens with education. Wisdom is also not something that automatically happens with age. See, wisdom is more than mere gathering information and knowledge. Wisdom is a lot harder to come by than, than mere information and knowledge. In fact, I mean, we th think about I mean, how much information is at our fingertips, is in our pockets, on our laps, that we're looking at right now. And there's little, little, little rectangle, little black rectangles. And as our access and ease of, of access to information has increased, I think you can make a strong argument that wisdom has decreased. That we have plenty of information, but we lack wisdom. So before I offer you a practical, and I think a biblical definition of wisdom, let me try to say, clarify a little bit more about what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not always understanding what God has done, why he has done it, and what he will do next. 
You know, we're not always able to connect the dots and understand why God has done what he's done, why certain things happen, and we're certainly not able to predict the future. Okay, so, so what is wisdom? How do we define and understand wisdom? I think a much better definition of wisdom is this. Wisdom is the ability to apply what you know about God and his world from his word to the problems and the opportunities of everyday life. Let me say that again. Wisdom is the ability to apply what we know about God and his world from his word to the problems and the opportunities of everyday life. Or a shorter definition would be, wisdom is the skill of godly living. It's the skill of godly living, not only in the big moments. You know, I know we know that we, that we need wisdom for the big moments, the big decisions, those big decisions we have to make, and, and, and we feel that need because those big decisions are big decisions. They, they matter, and there, there are ramifications and consequences from those big decisions. But when we're talking about wisdom, this skill of godly living, it's not only in the big moments, because we don't primarily live in the big moments. You know, we, we don't make that many big, huge decisions. That we live in everyday, ordinary, often mundane moments. So when we're talking about wisdom, it's skill of godly living on a Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Applying what we know about God and his world from his word to whatever problem or opportunity we encounter. So Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So are you wise? How would you know? How do you know if you're walking, if you're living with wisdom? Well, good question. Glad you asked. Paul gives two marks of wisdom in the next two verses. He says, first, walk with wisdom. The second heading, this, this first mark of wisdom, is make the most of your time. So look at verses 15 and 16 together. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, I know that verse 16, as we look at it, we read it, that everyone who can read understands what that verse says, that we understand what it means. And I already know, without me saying anything about it, that you're already convicted. I mean, it's a very sobering and challenging verse. Because I think we can all agree that, that time is arguably the most valuable and the most precious resource that each of us have. I mean, that, that's why, you know, parents, that's why we spend so much time trying to impress this truth upon our children, especially our teenagers, right? Don't waste time. You're running out of time. Don't forget about this deadline. Don't miss this opportunity. That there's a direct correlation between the way we think about and use our time, understand time, and wisdom. You know, Moses prays in that, uh, in that vein in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's a direct correlation between a heart of wisdom and understanding how precious and how limited and how fleeting our total number of days really is. 
It's not hard to do. Now, I'm not going to do much more math today, but you can do this. You think about what the average life expectancy is in America, whatever the early 80s. Think, multiply, how many, you subtract, how many more from that, how, many, how old you are, how many years you have left. You multiply that by 365 days. Not as many days as you think, no matter how young you are. Teach us to number our days that we may gain, get a heart of wisdom. Pastor theologian John Stott says this, All of us have the same amount of time at our disposal. With 60 minutes in every hour and 24 hours in every day, none of us can stretch time. But wise people use it to the fullest possible advantage. They know that time is passing and also that the days are evil, so they seize each fleeting opportunity while it is there. For once it is passed, even the wisest people cannot recover it. You can't recover it. You can't make more of it. You can't get it back once it is passed. No matter how wise you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how hard you're willing to work, you cannot recover it once it is passed. Jonathan Edwards, Puritan pastor, used mightily by God in the Great Awakening. Okay, when he was 19, 19 years old, he wrote down 70 resolutions. Now, regardless of what those resolutions were, that's pretty impressive. Uh, but, but they were good ones. And the fifth one is on the screen. The fifth one said, resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. And we read verse 16, and we, we hear this quote from John Stott and this resolution of Jonathan Edwards, and, we, and I think our hearts ache and we cry and we say, yes, hey, Richard, yes, I want to make the very best use of my time. I want to make the most of my time. I, I hate the idea of, of wasting and squandering time. I know it's a valuable resource. I know it. I think about it all the time. But it's far easier said than done. And it is, isn't it? It's far easier said than done. We want to make the most of our time. Why is it so hard to make the most of our time? Why is it so easy to squander it, to waste it? Well, look again at Ephesians 5, verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You see that time... Time management, time leadership is, is hard because the days are evil. All right, well, what does that mean? Well, I think it has meaning on two levels. I think it has a meaning at a, at a theological level, a, a, a history of redemption level, and then it has a meaning at a very practical level, and those two are related. So here's what I mean. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, whenever Paul is in his greeting to the to the church in Galatia, he says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. This, this present evil age, or, or this time of evil days. And Paul is referring to this period of time between Adam's first sin in the Garden of Eden and Christ's second coming, and the arrival of the new heavens and the new earth. And that while we have been graciously delivered from this present evil age through Christ's work of redemption, through his life, death, and resurrection, 
we still continue to live between Christ's coming and his coming again. That we still live in this period of evil days. Okay, so look back at our text in Ephesians 5, verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You see, Paul's point is that Christians should live with a sense of urgency and sobriety and seriousness regarding how we are living and how we're making use of and investing the time that we have. And so listen to how Pastor Sinclair Ferguson describes the challenge we face in trying to make the best use of our time during this this present evil age while we await Christ's return. He says, it, this present evil age, is dominated, indeed obsessed with, the idea of living for the now and turning a blind eye to eternity. Think about that. Part of how the reason why we waste and squander and misuse time now is that we're too focused on now only. It's wisdom to have our gaze lifted to think of eternity and how the here and now is short, this life is short, eternity is long, and to factor that into our equation, into how we're investing in things. He says, it's dominated, indeed obsessed with, the idea of living for the now and turning a blind eye to eternity. Thus, even the workaholic, who apparently never wastes a minute, actually wastes every minute by living for self, by living for the short term, by living for this world only. This life under the sun, as the author of Ecclesiastes describes it, is an empty striving after the wind. We reach out to take hold of what we have accomplished with our time, but since it lasts only for a time, it crumbles in our hands. So look again at verse 16. Making the best use of the time. Literally, the the Greek text says, redeem the time. Purchase the time. Buy back the time. That here in Ephesians 5 verse 16, Paul's using the same verb that's used to describe Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law to describe how we should redeem or make the best use of our time. Think about what he's trying to say there. The point is that there's a price that must be paid. If we're going to make the best use of our time, there's a price that must be paid, a redemption price to buy back our time if we're going to use time wisely. We must pay the price of using our time intentionally, thoughtfully, faithfully, and in a self-disciplined way if we're going to use our time well in this fallen world. Because if we're not intentional and we're not thoughtful and we're not faithful and we're not self-disciplined, then the concerns of this present evil age will dominate our time. It will steal our time. It will exhaust our time. You see, the days are evil. They're deceptive. We need to believe that. They're not harmless. They're not neutral. They're deceptive. They lie to us and they tell us that we always have more time, but we don't. They lie to us and tell us we always, you know, we've got many more years. We can do it next year. We can do it next week. We can do it tomorrow. Friends, I mean, you think about, you think about, you think about those families 
this past Monday in Nashville. The days are evil. They lie to us. They tell us that we always have more time, but we don't. These evil days lie, and they tell us that the here and now is all that matters. And so they lie, and they deceive us, and they do all they can to keep us from lifting our gaze and thinking about and living in light of eternity so that we squander and waste and spend our time on things that don't really matter. You see, if we're not redeeming the time, then we will inevitably be wasting the time, squandering the time. You see, friends, our, our opportunities to do good works and to do service and, and, and ministry in Christ's name are not unlimited. They're precious and fleeting. Each and every one of us has a finite number of these opportunities. No matter how young we are, we have a finite amount of these opportunities. Therefore, let us redeem the time. Let us make the best use of it. That we only have a finite amount of opportunities to share the good news of Christ with our family members and our friends and our neighbors. Therefore, let us redeem the time and make the best use of it. You know, spouses, we only have a finite amount of time to, to serve and bless our spouses. Therefore, let us redeem the time and make the best use of it. Parents, we only have a finite amount of time to connect with, to disciple, to teach, to train up our children. We only have so many Sundays when they are in our house. We only have so many opportunities to have family worship. We only have so many opportunities to read the Bible with them and to them. We only have so many opportunities to pray for them in their hearing and to pray with them. Therefore, let us redeem the time and make the best use of it. And children, we only have a finite amount of time to enjoy being with and learning from our parents and our grandparents. And therefore, let us redeem the time and make the best use of it. Now, I, I know, I mean, I knew before I even wrote this sermon, this is going to be a challenging and convicting sermon because it is. I mean, the way that we think about time and the regrets we have over time. But please hear me say this. I, I don't mean for this to be another brick in the backpack sermon. Okay, you know, know what those are? You come into the sanctuary with a backpack loaded, metaphorically, with, you know, 10 bricks, and you leave with 15 or 20. Because the pastor just kept putting more on, putting more on. I'm not trying to do that, okay? What I'm trying to say to you, though, is that if you have been guilty of foolishly neglecting these precious opportunities, if you have, join the club. But if you have, do not beat yourself up. There's grace for you. Even for you, there really is more grace in Christ than there is sin in our hearts. And so if you've been guilty of neglecting these opportunities, there's grace for you. There really is. So confess your sin where you need to confess it and then walk and live as intentionally and as faithfully as you can going forward, doing all you can to redeem the time and to make the best use of it. Now, this next quote from the famous Welsh preacher David Martin Lloyd-Jones is both sobering and I think it's encouraging too he says the one who came from heaven to earth for us and died on that cruel cross of shame on Calvary's hill who spared not himself who endured the contradiction of sinners he who even bore that agony in the garden and on the cross he will look at us 
And what he will look for is this, how we spent our time in this world after we realized what he had done for us. Confess your sin, repent where you need to repent, affirm and embrace and accept God's grace for you in Christ, and begin to walk with wisdom as you seek to be intentional about making the best use of your time. So how do you know if you're walking, living with wisdom? Do you make the most of your time? The second mark of wisdom is understanding God's will. Do you seek to understand God's will? And that's our third heading. Do you seek to understand God's will? Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, do not be foolish. But Paul's saying, do not be senseless or thoughtless or mindless about how you're walking, about how you're living. I mean, notice the therefore at the beginning of verse 17. That's connecting verse 17 to what Paul's been saying in the previous sentence. It's connecting verses 15, 16, and 17, that Paul's talking about walking in wisdom. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. Rather, be wise, thoughtful, intentional. As you do all that you can do to employ the skill of godly living to, as you seek to apply what you know about God and his world from his word to the problems and the opportunities of everyday life. Not just in the big decisions, but on Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. I mean, look at verse 17. If you want to better understand this contrast between foolishness and wisdom, foolishness and understanding that God's will I think it's very helpful to consider what the Bible says about fools. And one of the places you can go to see very quickly a lot of contrast between foolishness and wisdom is the book of Proverbs. So looking just at a few verses, like verse 10, verse, chapter 10, verse 8, we see, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. It's foolish to ignore God's commandments. It's foolish to ignore God's word. It's wise to receive and take God's word seriously. It's wise to receive God's word as absolutely true, given to you in love for your good. Later in Proverbs 10, verse 23, we read, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. See, it's foolish to not take sin seriously. It's foolish to not realize that sin never ever makes things better. It's foolish to not realize that, that, that sin never takes you where you want to go. It always costs way more than you plan to pay. And then Proverbs 14, 16 is similar. It says, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. It's wise to turn away from evil. Now, we could go on and on with wisdom from Proverbs and elsewhere in the Bible, but the point is that fools are ruled and governed by their emotions and desires and passions in the present moment. And they never lift their gaze to think about eternity. They never think about consequences. They never think about the cost of their actions on their own life, on those around them. And they cannot give biblical reasons for what they do and what they don't do. 
Pastor Richard Phillips says this, what we want and need, Paul says, is a wise walk. The way to walk wisely is to look carefully then how you walk, making the best use of the time and understanding what the will of the Lord is. Those who lead a wise and godly lifestyle are those who think about their lives, reflect on what they are doing, and compare it to the teaching of God's Word, and who make godly corrections by repenting and seeking God's help through His Word and through prayer. See, wisdom is taking what we know about God and His world from His Word, and we apply it to our problems and our opportunities in everyday life. So look again at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. As I said earlier, when we think about wisdom and the need for wisdom, I know it's common for us to think, well, I need wisdom in the big decisions. I think it's also common for us to think, well, I need to understand God's will whenever I'm facing a big decision. Like, I need to know God's will whenever I'm trying to decide, do I attend this university or this one? And I'm trying to decide, you know, which school to put my kids into. And I'm trying to decide, you know, whether I marry that person or not. In fact, somebody came up to me after the first service. Hey, can I talk to you about marrying this one person? You know, okay, sure, we can talk about it. Happy to do that. We desire God's will. We want to know, should I take this job or not? Should I move to this city or that city? Now, all of these are important decisions, and those decisions matter, and and that's why these big decisions weigh heavily on us, because they're big decisions, and there's ramifications, there are consequences. But I don't think Paul has that aspect of God's secret or hidden will in mind in verse 17. He's not saying, don't be foolish, try to understand God's hidden secret will for your life. Rather, I think he's referring to God's revealed will. For all of our lives, which is found in the scriptures. So theologian and seminary professor S.M. Baugh says this, This will of the Lord is not his secret counsel or good pleasure, which directs his actions from before time. I mean, that's what Paul taught us about in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. Rather, will here is God's revealed will in Christ, which is accessed, accessed, by wise application of biblical revelation, and I love this phrase, at the concrete crossroads of life. See, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is skill in godly living at the concrete crossroads of life. Applying what we know about God and His world from His word to those problems and those opportunities at the concrete crossroads of life. On a Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m., at the concrete crossroads of life that believers encounter in this age. You see, understanding God's will and living with wisdom is the skill of godly living. And as we consider the many decisions we're facing in our lives, as we are seeking to live with wisdom, as we're seeking to make the best use of our time, as we seek to understand what the Lord's will is, it's helpful to remember that there's at least one short verse in the New Testament in which we are told what God's will for our life is. Do you know that? There's one short verse. and You can memorize it. You just have to come back next week and I'll tell you what it is. No, okay. <laughs> no, there, there's one verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 
You think, no, Richard, that's not what I want to know. It's a trick. It's a trick. Trick question. Trick answer. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. You see, dear Christian, God's will for you in this life, in whatever decision you're wrestling with, however, wherever you are in these, with this concrete crossroads of life, trying to, needing wisdom, wanting to know what, what God's will for you is, God's will for you in this life, dear Christian, regardless of how young you are, how mature you are, is your sanctification. That is, God's will for you is that you will be conformed more and more into the image of His Son, conformed more and more into the image of Christ in preparation for your eternity in heaven with your triune God and His people. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. That's talking about you, dear Christian. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, we're to walk in wisdom and make the most of our time. We're to seek to understand God's will for our own good and our own blessing, to understand God's will and make the most, best use of our time for the good of others, the blessing of others. And most importantly, to walk with wisdom make good use of our time, understand the Lord's will for the glory and honor of our triune God. See, today, Palm Sunday, we remember that 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Not to immediately claim his throne, but to first suffer, bleed, and die on the cross. And later in the week, Jesus would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus would, would, went to the cross and he drank the cup of God's wrath down to the very dregs to save sinners like us. And this table before us reminds us of what Christ did for us in drinking that cup of God's wrath on our behalf. What he did for us in, in giving his body and his blood to save sinners like us. But this table also reminds us of how Christ is now interceding for us. He's now ruling and reigning over us. He's now feeding and nourishing our hearts and our souls spiritually as we seek to follow him wholeheartedly. And this table assures us that Christ will come again. That he will bring all of his people all of the way home. And it assures us that there does await those of us who are followers of Christ a place setting at the great wedding supper of the Lamb. It's there for you who trust in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to walk not as unwise but as wise. We desperately desire to make the very best use of our time. And not one of us wants to be foolish. But we want to understand what your will is. Please, Father, write these truths upon our hearts. Help us, enable us, with the power of your Spirit, to take what we know from your word about who you are, about your world about the duties you require of us. 
may we apply all of this to the problems and the opportunities that we encounter at the concrete crossroads of life. Lord, now in these next few moments of silence, hear our silent prayers to you as we prepare our hearts to come to this table.